0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the You'll Never Be Oprah podcast. This is Melody. And this is Alexis. And we're here to bring you conversation about human resources, self-care, and issues that are impacting diverse communities. All right. So one of the first topics that we want to dive into today
1: was the high expectations that we set for ourselves. And as Black women in the workplace, are those expectations based in reality?
0: So, I mean, I think that it is good to take a step back and think about what our expectations are. Because I believe that we get so caught up in just, moving and and navigating life that we don't we don't really think about the pressures that we put on ourselves but I am definitely a fellow I, I have very high expectations of what I bring to the table my performance, my interactions with people, my relationships in general with everyone um, there's very high expectations that I have of myself so much so that other people's perspective doesn't affect me as much as I I criticize or um, critique myself. I would like I how do I don't want to say that other people's So is it kind
1: of like other people's perspectives matter, but not as much as your own perspective of yourself because you're kind of like the I'm my own worst critic.
0: I'm definitely my own worst critic, and. That's why I feel like I think when other people's perspectives do come into play, it just adds, is, is an added burden to those expectations that I already have of myself. So like immediately overwhelm the moment that you might get a little bit of critical feedback from someone, um, just because of the expectations that, that I carry.
1: So in knowing that about yourself, how do you manage those? that those expectations and that critical feedback, because critical feedback is necessary. Um, um, we call it like positive criticism, constructive criticism. Those are things that are necessary to help you grow as an individual and as a professional. So how do you balance that um, in addition to the high expectations that you place on yourself? Because if not, it can be crippling. And
0: obviously that hasn't been the case in your career. So how have you managed that? So for me, I think it's been important to slow down and celebrate the wins just because I'm a super ambitious person and goal oriented person. So like once I have a major accomplishment, then it's on to the next um, and I don't take much time to like debrief or um, be present and the accomplishment that may have taken it could have been a short-term goal or a long-term goal but i know that i usually just move past it once i get there whether the no matter how long um it took me to get there so i think it's just been important to realize that a you you're setting the standards extremely high but don't get lost in just in in the rat race and checking off lists so much so that you lose yourself or you don't feel like these big major things that are happening or these major accomplishments are minimized or dismissed by yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, how do you expect others to celebrate you if you're not even celebrating yourself or being present um, and, in and, and uh, in an accomplishment. And I think some of that does stem from um,
1: like as, Black individuals trying to succeed in America, it, we you don't really have a lot of time to say, let me take a step back and appreciate how far I've come because you don't have that time to breathe because you're trying to keep up for the next thing that's probably coming your way, trying to derail you because um, we all know it's a different set of rules Uh, when you're trying to move up any ladder, whether it's a corporate ladder or you're an entrepreneurial ladder, or anything, it's a different set of rules, um, when you are black. So, <clears throat> but I do think it's, it is a good idea to take some time to say, Hey, I, I met this goal. And it's not just something that you just take off of your list, you check it off and you move on to the next thing. But as far as circling back to how that helps you manage your expectations, um, that you have on yourself and not letting that overwhelm you. Um, what are like some tactics that you take? So, like, for myself, like, I have high expectations that I place on myself as well. And, um, I can be very critical or like, I'm generally an optimistic person, but when I get into that hole of like criticism, it's very hard to break out. And, um, to one way to kind of combat that is to take a step back and say, look at what you've done so far and appreciate those things versus not. And are those things that you, is that what you were saying? Like you kind of take a step back and say, this is what I have done. Um, I have come a long way. I have met my own expectations that I've set for myself. It's not the end of the world. And when I receive constructive criticism, that's what it is. And even if someone gives you critical feedback whether it was meant to be constructive or not, you can always find that something constructive and feedback that people give you and leave the rest where it is.
0: Yeah, and I think I feel like navigating critical feedback, I feel like I do well with that because I do try to hear people and like figure out what it is they're asking for and make sure I deliver on whatever it is that the person is asking of me. Does it always feel great? No, are there moments where I have to be like, advocate for certain things? Absolutely. Um, but, and just going back to your question of how to, how do I manage it? I feel like I've done a different things with managing my expectations. Um, or it, for me, I, there's no problem with like, I set the expectations. Um, and I do reach the expectations, but I think, and, me me, forcing myself to slow down and be more present. I make sure like I write out my goals annually. It's usually towards the end of the year, um, rolling into the new year. And I take a step back, think about the goals that I have like in the present, think about the goals I've liked to accomplish in the next year. Sometimes they're far reaching, um, but I still write it down And then I kind of go across the board professionally, spiritually, financially, with my relationships, with people, business. And and then that's like my guide. That's like my reminder of this is what you want to accomplish this year. And I make sure that when I'm creating that same list for the next year, I take a look at what I put the year prior. And it allows me to reflect. It allows me to be appreciative and like feel that gratitude and feel fulfilled that I've accomplished things. Cause I feel like, again, when we're running the rat race, we we're just running the rat race. We're not, there's not much fulfillment there unless you're like able to pause and like someone nominates you for an award and there's a cell ceremony and celebration. And that, and that helps me understand the purpose of even those moments mm-hmm. is to take the time to acknowledge people that are running the rat race who may have not had the time to, you know, step back and realize I'm doing my thing and be celebrated and like live in that moment and understand I've accomplished a lot before. I think
1: (laughs) also, even if you are, because while it is great that you have um, milestones in your life where you can be celebrated as far as being nominated for an award or, you know, someone shouting you out, um, for some of our listeners, they may not have that as far as having that chance to take a step back and appreciate how far they've come because they've been nominated for an award. So I would encourage people to say, um, either. Make sure that the support system that you have around you is also being encouraging, uplifting you. And if you don't have that support system, because everybody doesn't have that luxury um, to, you know, set a reminder, for it, even if it's setting a reminder on your phone at the end of every week to take a step back, write down everything that you've accomplished for the week um, that you set out to do and, you know, appreciate yourself.
0: Yeah. And I like it's five minutes touching on like yourself fulfillment as well as like getting uh, having others pour into your cup and but I think it's so important to make sure that you're happy within yourself and that you're managing expectations with yourself as well because what you feel how, the expectations that you have of yourself is going to spill out into your interactions with others it's going to be projected onto um, your relationships with others mm-hmm. so so Again, and they're just going to mirror likely what you're, you're putting out there. So, um, it's, I think it starts with a first. I think sometimes we get it switched around and we'd be looking for our network of support Mm -hmm. to uplift us to become the person we want to be. And sometimes, and at the end of the day, you have to figure out what you want to be and how you want to navigate life and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So then you know how to show up when you're around other people.
1: Right. Because like you said, whatever you're putting out into the universe is likely, most likely a reflection of how you feel about yourself. Um And uh, when you're looking for someone else to fulfill those things that you need, a lot of times you walk away disappointed because... um other people are projecting how they feel about themselves out into the universe. So if they're projecting how they feel about themselves into you. And they happen to not feel good about themselves either. Then you're left with nothing or probably worse than where you started it. So starting with yourself, projecting those things out, what you're looking for in the world, keeping those tabs, like you said, writing down your goals, whether they're far reaching. I want to touch on that too, Um, because you can have Goals, and you said it's a difference between having a far reaching goal and having an unrealistic goal. And I think that's a lot of times that holds people back from even setting far reaching goals because they talk themselves out of, can I actually do this? And if you set a plan and with actionable goals in it, then you can reach that goal, that far reaching goal. And that's just like a little reminder to our listeners that don't talk yourself out of things that you actually can. Attain just because it may be hard, you can do hard things.
0: But uh, I'll say what inspired it is is obviously our. I feel like the Black community and definitely us Black women have been shook a little bit just because seeing seeing someone take their on life who I feel like you relate to, like you see her, you can see find similarities. And you're with yourself with someone else who, who decided to, you know, Chesley was beautiful. She was successful. You know, a, a lot of women probably would have been killed to be in her shoes. A lot of women would kill to be in her shoes. Like, what would make someone do that? Well, but again, you never know what someone's going through. But in thinking about like, you know, successful black women. Our, it may it may be one video really resonated with me um, that someone shared just insights about about making sure that you're like walking in your purpose, not anyone else's. Because I think oftentimes like we look to our loved ones and our and our parents and whoever else as guides of who to be and where, what we could become. And sometimes we may, you know, kind of walk in the footsteps of our ancestors. Um, but is that what we really want? Is that truly what we feel like our purpose is and what we're called to do? Or are we just doing the right thing? Because we I know people have done it, you know, up through college. This is my parents want me to be a doctor. My parents mm-hmm. want me to be a lawyer. So I'm going to commit all this time, energy and effort to get good grades Get into these schools and make my parents proud. And that's, and that's a lot, right? Because you could get into that. You could get halfway in and realize this is not something that I want to do. Right. But you make the decision after being that far along to make a change that could take longer, right? And then having to have that conversation with your loved ones about, you know, I'm not really feeling this this is what I want to do. I want to be an actress. You know, I want to be a screenwriter. I want to do comedy or something like that. That may not be well received depending on where you're from, what your cultural background is. Are we living and walking in our own purpose or are we just trying to meet other people's standards of what we should be doing? Um, And I also
1: um, just to add a little perspective to that, because I have definitely, um, maybe not as much as some other people, but fallen into that. What does my family want me to do? Trap. And, um, I want to make my family proud. And obviously those, those that need to make your family proud or want them to be proud of you, it comes from a good place, but you can't let your whole life get wrapped up in that. And then you should ask yourself, um, because a lot of times people say, Oh, well, rather than follow this path of being a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever your parents did, I want to be an actress, but that's going to be hard. Well, how much harder is it going to be working in a profession that you hate every day? Because this doesn't mean that you can't go and be that doctor and lawyer. It doesn't mean you can't be very successful at it, but if you go and you do it and you end up hating what you're doing, that is also very hard. And which, which price is the price you want to pay? And a lot of times as what individuals we get caught up in, um, what is going to pay me the most versus what I love. And that's a hard thing to to navigate. Uh, I have walked away from certain things that I know I love and I know that I'll be very good at and that I'll probably end up doing.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, I said it didn't pay them, So I don't want to do it. I, that's not the profession that I want to go into. To dedicate my life to, will I end up doing it in some way, shape, or form? More than likely, but I didn't do it because at the end of the day, I don't come from a family of generational wealth.
0: I was I was wanting to say that the baby boomers taught us that different. Otherwise, like Mm -hmm. what what we're the way we're navigating the workplace is not the way the baby boomers were taught to navigate the place. And I think mm-hmm. there's definitely a clash of beliefs there because, um, and a, f- a friend and I were talking about this more recently, that, you know, we've been taught to get a good job and stay on that job 20, 30 years for <laughs> retirement, <laughs> benefits, pension, whatever the case may be. But you we're not doing job. that. <laughs> Our generation is absolutely not sticking with companies that long whatsoever. And we're Hopping around and moving up in salary, um, which is frowned upon by the baby boomers, but we we have figured out that sometimes, like we can get what we want by changing a job in a year, what some baby boomers, you know, may Work whole have made for. it to, yeah. Um, and I think it's hard because like I was telling my mom, like, oh, I'm starting, you know, a new job and And she's just like, uh, are you leaving on good terms and you're not been <laughs> breaking any bridges, are you? And it's the perception that because I'm leaving, then I must be breaking a bridge because mm-hmm. I haven't been there long enough, you know, for them to be happy or supportive about the move. Um, So am I burning down the bridge? And like, uh, again, it being this extremely frowned upon move when you decide to, again, navigate and do what's what you feel like is your purpose and what your value um, is and demanding that. I think we're a lot more assertive about it. We're willing to leave a job if we're unhappy. I feel like the baby boomers were definitely not that generation that did that. They absolutely (laughs) would stay in a job that they hate for decades. And we can't do that.
1: And I think that ties back into what we kind of spoke about in the last episode, as far as knowing your worth and what you bring to the table and being confident in that. Because um I I know that I was raised by that baby boomer generation and it was you need to make sure that you hold on to that good job. And um I still myself am very reluctant to leave a job, walk away from that experience those feelings of fear and scariness starting something new um I also know that I'm reluctant to change that's a whole other story but um knowing that you've built something at a company is not something that is easy to walk away from um and it mainly ties into stepping out of your comfort zone and being confident in your own abilities and that If you're confident in your own abilities and what you bring to the table and know that you command a bigger salary, salary, then don't sell yourself short because that's exactly what we've been doing. And we're finally learning how to play this game that our counterparts have been playing for years.
0: And so do, again, do manage your expectations, figure out what it is that you do want and what's fulfilling to you. Identify those things. Figure out the path it takes to get there Um, and don't be afraid to pursue your purpose, even if it goes against some beliefs that have been ingrained in you, especially when it comes to like just career moves and practices in the workplace, because as we've seen, the workplaces in 2022 is a lot different from the workplaces that existed in the 1980s and 1990s. So we got to make an adjustment based on where we are.
1: And speaking of staying at a company for a long time or for a lifetime, um, we, I wanted to get into, um, as far as like being loyal to the company, what is more important, um, your people that are at your company or your bottom line. So um I think we both ran across separate articles that with talked the, about this. With the
0: bottom line being your
1: profits, finance, the, the company, uh yeah, the bit the good of the company, what's best for the company versus what is best for the people that work there. Um because you'll have I saw an article recently that a person was at work, literally died on the clock, and they were like revived and they got fired for dying at work.
0: Which is really extremely disgusting.
1: Right. But the company is, you know, thinking in terms of what's best for the company. It's just a business move at that point. And it's, you know, what should we do? What should we do? And, um, I think a lot of times companies do, they either forget about the people that are working for them and making their company what it is, or they're not forgetting,
0: they're very aware, and they just don't care. And I feel like there's definitely different types of people and people managers out there. Um, I'm definitely on the side of the people or reflection of the culture a reflection of the company and how they treat each other and how they behave and their actions, um, again, reflect your company. So if they're behaving poorly and treating people improperly, then that's going to impact your bottom line. I, I think it's hard. It's weird that some companies really, it seems like they choose one or the other. Like either we're all about the money and we don't really care much about culture and we treat people like numbers and then there's others that are all about culture, but sometimes, you know, the money is not there. And there and you have to really make things work to have that that good that good cash flow. So but part of me is thinking, I'm just thinking about more recently, Tesla, uh, there was an article that came out about how they treated a, a gay, I believe, minority man who and this was not their first rodeo, um, and, like, on top of them already fighting um, civil rights lawsuits uh, or and having complaints from the EEOC um, that they're investigating, they still are not treating their employees properly, so it's, like, you know that there's a problem, but the problem's not being addressed. So then the problem just continued to persist and get worse and worse. More lawsuits pop up. Now, mind you, the, the lawsuit was successful. The, the company was awarded to, um, was ordered to pay out thousands of, I don't know if it was thousands or was it that, might have been millions of dollars. But I know that they were fighting the, the damage award because it felt like it was too high. Regardless, though, you have to pay money in legal fees to fight these cases. And then if unsuccessful, like they were, that's additional money that has to be paid out to the person that you. um, Well, you could just
1: start by being, you know, fair, treating everybody like people.
0: So it it doesn't matter what that person that much money,
1: you know? Well, if you're invested in your bottom line, then you should be invested in your people because Like you said, on the flip side, when you are invested in your people or you allow things like discrimination and mistreatment to happen at work, then you end up having to pay more anyway. So what's happening to your bottom line there? You're taking more money away from your bottom line because you have to pay the EEOC and you have to pay for training and then you have to pay out lawsuits. So what's, what's going on with the bottom line? You're protecting your bottom line but just treating people like people.
0: And then it makes me wonder, do companies have a budget for this sort of stuff? Like, do y'all predict that there's going to be this amount of damages that we're going to have to pay out due to EEOC violations? Like, I think how it's is money that factored into the bottom line? If you, <laughs> I, you I think if it
1: were me, if I were running the company, now this is just me <laughs> giving out my own opinion. If I were running a successful company, I think that it would be foolish of you to not have that built into your budget, and that's a budget that I would have that I hope I would never have to use. More so, like insurance. Um, but to not have that money set aside because you you are working with people here, you never know. I think what it depends
0: on how a person's going to do. A small business owner can't afford to have a budget line for exactly violation.
1: And that's exactly what I was about to get into, so that's something where you have to really be on top of as far as who you're hiring. And what your training is going to be, but you also don't have that many people that are going to be on your team as a small business. So you may not have that budget built in, but you also don't have those people as many people to be accountable for when you're running a large mm-hmm. scale corporation. It would be foolish of you not to have that built into your budget because there's no way you can account for the why- hundreds of thousands of people that are working for you. And if you have one manager who's gotten away with being discriminatory for six months, that's easily a fine that you're have, you're probably going to have to pay. Yes, you're going to have to get rid of that person. But if this behavior is going on, that's why
0: companies have HR departments. That's why companies hire chief um, diversity officers because that's where that money is going. It's going to the people that can help prevent, be preventative about this stuff, write these policies, enforce these policies, train on these policies. Train on the conduct and behavior that you should have in the workplace. So if mm-hmm. you don't have a budget for anything, it should be a budget to be preventative and not reactive because you failed to be preventative. Because and if that's you're the being thing, though.
1: I think you can be you can have stuff that is preventative and you put more money into your preventative budget. So making sure that you have money to pay these HR managers, these chief diversity and equity officers, so on and so forth. And I think that'll absolutely help the large scale problem, but that's not to say you shouldn't have money set aside in this reactive budget because there's still a chance that those things are going to happen. You can have the best HR manager, uh, HR management team. You can have one of the top rated um DNI officers at your company and they still can't account for what people are going to do because people are people. Like it's not something that you can control and what we can give training and that can minimize the issues. But if a person comes in and they, you know, do the training, well, we've all interviewed people who present themselves one way in the interview. And once they get on a the job, they're a completely different person.
0: And you know what? I would have a zero tolerance policy like exactly. that will save me money because. And that's what I was going to say. Like, you have to get means, rid of those people. To make an depending on of how them. severe the allegation, like you're fired immediately. So we won't have to worry about this issue persisting and it trickling and poisoning the entire well mm-hmm. that then affects the company financially, because I would cut that off like at Exactly. Moments notice that there's an issue.
1: So when you cut that off at moments but notice, but I think companies do, are your due to due do diligence. stuff like that. Well, some companies are. I Because I some seen, of the people
0: that act like this are people that have are, are have skin in the game.
1: True. That's true. Um, I think that it's easier said than done. Just though, oh, I'm just going to get rid of this person because I know what they're doing like you have to do your due diligence and make sure that you have all your bases covered from a business standpoint because the last thing you want is someone who is persisting with this type of behavior coming back to try to see you because you didn't have all your bases covered as a company to make sure that you got them out of there the right way um so i think that is what holds some companies back and those are companies that have like a zero tolerance policy for discrimination or discriminatory behavior um and in that being said you get rid of that person or those persons who've done that immediately. As soon as you get word of it, you follow your steps, you do your due diligence, you get rid of them the right way. Um, so that your well isn't poisoned, like you said, but the damage that they did is, it, it's already been done. So that is where I say that reactive fund has to still be there. It may not need to be as big, but you still have to account for what that person that you wouldn't and got think rid of. And transparent
0: did. as well. Like I, I think a lot of companies. They try to do this stuff behind the scenes and, you know, to preserve confidentiality. And I think there's ways to preserve confidentiality and still be transparent with your team that uh, we are down this position and now hiring for this position. And this is the reason why, because yes, there's a violation of our multiple harassment policy and we have zero tolerance for issues of, of um, you know, discrimination Harassment. Agree with that. Sort of misconduct. um And so that way, I mean, like people need those constant reminders that we don't play about this. Hey, mm-hmm. let's make sure you understand what is and what is not um harassment and misconduct. What's proper right. behavior, what's not proper behavior. And constantly and I think have that ongoing conversation about these things because the world is changing and evolving and so much so that a lot of us are still not able to keep up. (laughs) Um, I'm not like there are people that still get frustrated over gender pronouns and are still struggling with that when it's like, okay, this has been several years now, like several So we should know how to be better with this, but we don't because we don't practice it, because we we decide to ignore this, we, because we decide not to really include this topic in our practices, because we're not confident or competent in, in learning or teaching this stuff. And that's a problem, even when you skate by or skate around things, and then it becomes a problem because it's the, the world's going to change, whether you're mm-hmm. keeping up with it or not.
1: And that's nah. something that you have to attack head on. And I applaud companies who make sure that they, you know, sink dollars into good trainings. There's no other way around that. Like just really good quality training. Um, Make it where they are. They have like an open floor so that people have the opportunity to ask questions. Um, they're not just throwing information at you. I think those are some of the better trainings. I recently, uh, went to one that was like, um, I guess you would say like a town hall style. And we were able to ask questions if we had questions or, you know, give feedback, even if we wanted to do it anonymous, anonymously as far as how did this particular training help me? Um, what did I not understand as much? And I mean, I appreciated that solid training and it helped me understand certain topics that were confusing for me. And I think mm-hmm. if you have an open floor where you set out at the outset that it is, this is a safe space for you to be able to ask questions that you have. Um It allows people mm-hmm. to go into a space of learning and understanding versus feeling like they're going to be judged because they don't understand a space that okay. they're not a part of. I'm never going to be able to speak about spaces that I don't belong to Because I don't have that shared experience or I can speak on it, but I'll never be able to speak on it like other people who belong to those spaces can. So I'm not going to pretend to or get up on my soapbox about that. But I can say I'm going to go into a space of trying to understand where they're coming from. And then more importantly, how I can navigate this at the workplace, because going back to the example that you gave about the guys at Tesla, there's no reason why those people couldn't come to work and be able to do their job. Then being gay minority men had nothing to do with their ability to do their job. But for whatever reason, they had to bring that into work and had to deal with that, which didn't allow them to bring their full sales at work. And when we're talking about the bottom line, I don't want that to get in the way of the dollars that you bring into my company, because now we're talking about stuff that doesn't matter. So now as a okay. CEO, I'm upset because I have to spend money on stuff when this Gay minority
0: man could have just been working. And that's why you should invest in your people and not just the bottom line. Because the people, again, your people managers are the ones that are your rep- the company's representatives. And they're the ones that can reinforce and model the appropriate behavior and conduct in the workplace. Those that are in those leadership positions. So if you have someone that is going rogue, and don't act right or say inappropriate things and stuff like that, then he that person is just letting others know that this, this conduct is okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And others
0: will begin to mirror that conduct. If one person that happens to be in a leadership position um, turns a blind eye to misconduct,
1: or, or simply not even doing their jobs, not doing their no. due diligence. And that comes with making sure that you have those best people in those leadership positions. Like you said, with your HR management team or with your D&I team, making sure you have those good people who are going to actually do their job. Um, because part of that is checking up regularly on those different departments within your company. And if they're keeping their finger on that pulse, per se, then those things don't continue. Persist for months at a time. You catch it sooner than later. But that also is a whole other conversation because companies don't want to pay for
0: what that costs. And speaking of paying for what things cost, um, should be we be having more transparent conversations uh, around pay equity and... Um, in the workplace? and
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we should. And that has come from someone who does not reveal her bay to
0: any coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we, because um, I think what piqued my interest here is the fact that we're now moving into Certain policies and procedures or laws and depending on where you are that prevent um, discussing salary history, discussing what you made before, whatever. Like your ask is your ask. Um, The salary range is this. Hopefully people provide a salary range. Um, But it's still not like a uniform federal salary history being covered. It's, it's one of those, like, New York State, Um definitely there's a law, state law, that prohibits this um, in the hiring and recruitment and stuff process. But not everywhere. So my question is, you know, should this be a federal uh, mandate? Obviously, I think employers should be more transparent. Like, It's only going to take more time and money to hire and interview, well, interview and try to recruit candidates for a position um, if you're not being transparent about the salary. Like, who wants to go through the entire stage of selection, (laughs) recruitment selection, then interviewing up to the point where the money matters for someone to walk away because you don't you're not meeting eye to eye on what someone feel like their value is. So how can we be more transparent? Obviously, we should be more transparent. Um, what are the reasons that I'm trying to figure out why we kind of don't don't really. Why do we not display this information up front? You know why they don't
1: display the information up front. And that is completely from the company's standpoint. And that's not to say, oh, let's hate on companies this episode. That's all we're doing. But, um, it is in the best interest of the company to not display, um, or make public knowledge your salary ranges. Because if you do, um, then everybody's going to come and ask for the top of the salary range. And you won't have any, you'll have to pay everybody top dollar. Or is it that because it, the
0: internal people aren't being paid as much as what these new positions are being offered? Oh, it's so a combination of that, too. Coming,
1: so in our COVID world, you have people who came in prior uh, pre-COVID who are making a certain amount of money and people who came in during COVID making more money. And people don't like that. So that's part of the issue. But pre-pandemic world, this has been the issue mm-hmm. anyway. And <laughs> these companies are not going to display or make known how much they're paying people because then everybody's going to want top dollar, and they're, not, they're likely to not have. People.
0: But you, but you, you have a budget for the position. There's a sliding scale depending on commensurate with your. So, experience. as
1: a as a business owner yourself, you have a sliding scale for your budget. Do you mm-hmm. want to pay if you can get away with paying someone at the lower end of that budget? Versus paying someone at the upper end of that budget, what are you going to want want to do if you're being honest with yourself? Now Obviously, you pay somebody what they're I want worth.
0: To be cost effective and save money.
1: Exactly. So, and I'm not saying that you should put that as the super top priority. You pay people what they're worth. Sometimes it is worth paying a person a little bit more money based on what you're getting in return. That is. Only minimum fair.
0: salary or the minimum rate starts at minimum wage up to the budget that you can afford. Mm-hmm. Correct?
1: Uh, well, it depends on the position. So you say minimum wage, but I'm thinking like minimum wage, 7 dollars I'm
0: saying, you know, minimum salary, right. minimum wages up to what you actually can budget for the position, unless right. your budget is the minimum. And Which is poor case,
1: business practices, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> But yes, you're right. That's, that's my understanding of it. And I think that, um, that, that it comes from that. And that's why they encourage people not to, um, reveal your salary or, you know, talk about it at work, which is why it's so hush hush and we just go along with it. But that's
0: the problem, you know, because people I think people need to be paid according to that. They shouldn't have all of these pay disparities in the workplace. And if so, then the company should be working on taking a look at what people are making how much people are being paid. If there actually are disparities and remedying those disparities before you think that you're going to put out a budget to bring new people in, because it's only going to shake up the culture. And yes, people and you can't ensure that people are not going to talk about how much they're making. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like that stuff just comes up sometimes like.
1: Well, it also works out a lot of times in their favor because um, you can have a person who is getting paid, let's say, $30,000 a year. And you bring someone else on making forty five, and that person who is making $30,000 finds out about it. And so then they say, well, let's take a look at your performance. So if that person mm-hmm. hadn't been performing to the point where they could have gotten those pay raises. Say so they had that system in place, they weren't getting mm-hmm. those pay raises because they weren't performing, so they were kept at that base rate. That company's well within their right to keep that person at that rate. Now it's a different conversation when you have Susie overperforming that we spoke about the last mm-hmm. episode, who's still stuck at that thirty thousand dollars, and you have someone coming in fresh off, fresh out of college or whatever, making that forty five, and they're in the same position. That is when. Unfortunately, Susie has to be her own advocate Okay. I've been overperforming this job and I would like pay rates. And then we go back to what we discussed before. Um, Susie needs to be looking for another job. Mm-hmm. If they refuse to pay her what she's worth. Which feeds into. Her, and,
0: and then, I mean, and granted, if there is a pay equity equity issue. And this person can prove that they have the same education history or experience um and skill set, and they're being paid disproportionate to what someone else is based on whatever protective class i mean that's the claim, and I mean, the companies have to be very careful when it comes to that stuff, like it's not a game, you know I think that if you feel um, I feel that if you feel like I think A, definitely advocate for yourself it's responsible for it, but the, the person in leadership the human resources person business owner, whoever the case may be should be taking a look sitting down with both of this person's resumes both people, whoever's resumes um, or all positions resumes and making sure that it's equal right? Because it's not really based, it's not based on, granted, performance matters once you're in there, whether you're going to get a promotion or not. Mm -hmm. But if you plan on changing what you're offering for a particular position, then now you got to take a look at what everybody else is making. That's true. Um, It made those appropriate adjustments, because again, if you shake up the culture, then all you're going to do is, it's going to be a problem. uh, It may not be an instant problem, but eventually it will be, especially Mm -hmm. if people start, um, finding other places to go and making their way out. And as soon as you feel like you're in a good spot with, you know, <laughs> your staff, now you have to hit the ground running and bring in new staff. And again, now you got to remember that you're now paying this for this and you're mm-hmm. not. <laughs> so you think you're getting over because you're paying the $30,000, the $45,000 position, 30000 even though now you're offering 45000 for it. And that's fine because so long as those people stay in their lesser 30,000 ish job. Mm -hmm. But if they leave and now this is the value of the job and you have to replace them, I mean, are you bringing them in? Like it's, it's gonna, it's such poor business practice to be (laughs) back and forth with that. Like you're going to bring it back down to 30. It's, that's insane. So that's why it's appropriate to like either A, don't make the adjustment if you can't afford to make the adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, they offer what you have in your budget and then and be transparent about that so a person can determine if that's something that they want or not, because there's nothing worse than spending so much time and people have to i feel like from an h r standpoint because we do this all the time it's just like another interview or whatever the case may be, but we have to understand that people are taking time out of their day right to mm-hmm. sit down to take to make sure they're in an environment where they can conduct an interview with you. Mm -hmm. Some people take time off work, some people doing it in between, you know, lunch and all of that stuff. So we have to understand and value their time as well. And you would think that you will value your own time by making sure that you don't have to do stuff over and over and over again and, and doing this stuff in a way that saves you time. Because in HR, anything could be thrown your way any day.
1: And I think like for, well, it depends on what sector of HR you're in. So if you're like a generalist, then yes, everything. But, um, if you're in another space and you are handling a certain amount of things and they have to go talk to a different HR manager for their other issue, don't talk to me, go talk to her. But, um, I, I, and I think I'll probably learn this, you know, as I continue in the space that I'm in, but, That is something I am interested to learn when in an interview you ask what the range is for the job and the interviewer says, well, I can't reveal that at this time. Um, I would be I'm interested to know why. So um, I will I'll circle back to
0: offer and then they were they're willing to negotiate their offer. And, and well, they just want to that, like, I don't see anything high 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 offering like the
1: range, though, like telling what is the range for this position that you're hiring for. So you at least have an idea of where your offer will fall in, um, whether it's at the bottom of that range or not. And some interviewers don't want to give that range. And I would be interested to know why.
0: That is interesting, because especially <laughs> since it is in some like pre-employment stuff, like. What is your desired salary for this position, and it gives you an option to enter your desired salary um but if you just didn't enter it that i mean i that would kind of be a red flag for me though, because just like there's an the expectation that the company would be transparent, the candidate should be transparent as well, like generally. When you get that question, we would like a range. You don't have to tell us a specific number, but like this, I'm hoping to land between this range is just as transparent as we hope to land between this range as well. We need to know if your range works with our range.
1: I like that and I figured that was like the reasoning for the question, but I also have been that person who like didn't fill out the that question because <laughs> I want to talk about it in the interview You're So like And like if you,
0: uh-uh.
1: like, you want to know then I'll tell you what my range is or I'll ask you what the range is for this position because likely the person who doesn't fill out uh their desired salary on the application um didn't have a range to work with. The company didn't reveal what that salary range what was range for that was. position. So they say, well, we'll find out when we get to the interview what my desired yeah. salary is. So because
0: they're not being transparent. It's like a just
1: like a negative well. feedback loop. Like, oh, well, I'm not yeah. going to tell you because you're not telling me. And
0: I mean, it doesn't game. make sense. It's craziness.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I have a filled out applications and didn't put the desired salary. And if given the interview, I ask what the range is in the interview and um, or if they ask me, Hey, I see you didn't fill out that part. What is your desired salary? I use the opportunity to ask what the range is. And if they say they can't reveal it, then, you know, I'll give what I'm expecting. But at the same time, that puts the candidate at a negative, um, advantage because what if they lowball themselves? And we have seen the story circulating where then
0: that's, people that's will give the their desired salary. Needs to does the person
1: but sometimes the research. But like sometimes the research is out there. Sometimes it's not, especially for new positions that a company creates.
0: You should at minimum know what the value of the position is. So,
1: mm-hmm. so knowing that for our more inexperienced listeners, where are some places that you would have people look outside of like glass door? Where would they look? To get market comparisons for a position, there you
0: look for the position. You look for what, like if it's a new position. So, like a a new position that never existed in this nation, not in this nation. So they
1: have like similar ones, but say it's a new title type thing, and it doesn't really go. You get
0: as close to it as possible. I feel like there's very few positions that are like brand new. has never had ha, ever had this title before or done these responsibilities before so okay. the goal is to get as close to the job description that you or the job title that you're applying for and then you have to concentrate it to the area that you're in the state the county the you know city or town mm-hmm. um and narrow it down to now what are People comparable in comparable positions where I am physically making in this position, because that's what most companies go by anyway. They're not going to pay you what somebody in San Diego is making when you mm-hmm. live in a little country pumpkin town in West Virginia.
1: Right. So
0: you have to concentrate it and be like, okay, this is what other directors or whatever are making. And um, this is how much I want. This is how, this is the experience I have to bring to the table. And this is how much I feel like my value is. And that contributes to you coming up with what you feel like you should be asking. And then I feel like you take into consideration, you take into consideration what you're currently making. And if it's worth making that move, like, is this a $10,000 salary increase going to make a difference, like worth changing jobs? Is it 20, 30, whatever, whatever? Is mm-hmm. this worth um you know, relocating or changing jobs, depending on what the situation is. So there's so many factors that have to be taken in consideration. And for me, as someone who um, sits at the hiring table and looks at the resumes and applications, and I feel like people are really lackluster with their um, interview prep. People show up and barely know about the company, they can barely tell you what the company does. And I don't know if it's because people are applying for however many jobs they're forgetting what jobs they're applying for. And they just going through the motions because they just trying to get any job. So they don't sit down and do their due diligence um, to show up properly to interviews. Like, it's for me, I've been so disappointed at how many people, young, old, whatever, that mm-hmm. just don't. You can tell they haven't done their research. Like they barely know mm-hmm. what the position is about. They barely know what the company is about. So why are you show? I'm trying to figure out why people show up. <laughs> to, and, and, like, why are you showing up? And you didn't do take the time to do a simple Google search because we know people spend time scrolling on social media, mm-hmm. spend time reading whatever news articles or whatever's going on in the world, even maybe watching the news. Like literally it takes a couple seconds to Google a company and find mm-hmm. out what's going on with that company. And the fact that people don't do that, Uh, I would say for the green listeners out there who may be on a job market or plan to be on a job market soon, like professional career trajectory, Mm -hmm. um, do your research. That makes a a (laughs) difference. And the fact that people still stand out from knowing about the company makes it that much more easier, you know. Mm
1: That's true. So what to circle back to the initial question as far as what you should be doing to have your research done for your salary, what the salary range is. If the company does not reveal the salary range or it's a new position, you need to be researching based on location and comparable skills that are offered for that position because it could have a new title, but it's not really a new position. So, doing that research out there, it takes you know maybe a couple more minutes to do it, but it's not it's not something that is impossible. So I think those are really good tips for people who are looking to if find out what a salary the range is, and that's <laughs> if you want the job, which you wouldn't be applying for the job. It would help, want the job. and say you do the research for that. People salary be range. applying for
0: jobs they don't want, girl. <clears throat> Well,
1: people apply for jobs they don't want, but they don't know that they didn't want it because they didn't know what the salary range was. They could say, oh, this (laughs) sounds amazing, but they only want to pay me 25K. I don't want to work here. But they didn't know that they were going to only pay them that because they didn't do their research. So giving those tools Mm -hmm. to be able to research those positions, I think will really help. And then going on to the interview prep, I do think that that's a double-edged sword. So on one hand, People do need to do their research. If you're going to spend your time applying for a job, then you need to be adequately prepared. You don't want someone coming wasting your time. You shouldn't waste other people's time. And at the end of the day, you're taking time out of your day to interview for a job. That interviewer is taking time out of their day to interview you. You want someone to be fair with you when they're interviewing you. So you should at least be prepared for it. Put your best foot forward because this is your potential livelihood that we're talking about. So, yes, be prepared, but at the same time, interviewers, recruiters, you cannot, and I get the pressure that recruiters and interviewers are under right now. I don't not take that into account, but people will apply to jobs three months later, hear back from that job they applied to. And, uh, I mean, those are realities, and our recruiters and our interviewers are under immense pressure right now. They're getting Thousands of applications right. in, or hundreds of applications in a day. And it's very easy to get behind on that. Um, but that means that you can put more people
0: for right. 30 day updates or something like that. We're still right. in the process, haven't gotten to your positions mm-hmm. and stuff yet. And for um, people who are
1: applying for these jobs, it's, it does not hurt at all to follow back up with that company that you applied to, whether you're calling them up, sending the recruiter an email, if you applied on LinkedIn or something, hey, just checking on the status of my application. I applied, you know, a month ago, we wanted to see if you were still hiring for this position or not. It's, it takes two seconds to do that. You checked up on it. If you still don't hear back from them in the month, it is safe to say you're not gonna get that job and move on to the next thing. But It's something where it requires effort on both ends. And if you have a recruiter or an interviewer that reaches out to you months after you applied, then that takes you going back and doing that research again for a company that you probably forgot you applied to, to be honest.
0: And I wish that wasn't a reality, but we're in a pandemic. (laughs) so. And it's funny because I've just had different experiences with, Depending on whether the level, the position is an entry level position versus you know senior executive leadership position, those entry level ones are a killer. Like it is so hard to find reliable good talent. Like it's I think the entry level positions are just extremely competitive, so much so that people are just not even they're applying and not showing up. I've seen. Uh, from the entry level positions for the senior uh, and executive leadership positions, people are definitely showing up to those, but still seeing some lack of preparedness, you know, there with them so much. So I feel like with those positions, I'm seeing people are really relying on the weight of their resume like this. My resume is going to carry me through this entire thing. And you have to change that expectation. Um and so, managing expectations here. <laughs> and I think it's okay to be proud of your
1: accomplishments. Be proud of your resume, could be super but you can't come in and be, you know, cocky. To a don't certain expect extent. your
0: resume to carry it through, and don't right. expect people to have sat down and um, consumed everything about your resume. Like remind people what's in there. Don't just be like, you know, as you see from my resume. Don't just refer to it, but not make the the right point.
1: Yeah, make so, your connections. Your resume is not going to interview for you.
0: Because I think the resume, people who have strong resumes feel like they can just show up to an interview, like not be as prepared and still. Get your resume the can
1: get you through the door. It's up to you to get your job, and that is no matter what level you're at. Yeah. Well some some exceptions to that role but that's another conversation <laughs> all right y'all so thanks for listening um i think we covered some really good topics today and happy black history month
0: yes yes and thank you for joining us for another episode of you'll never be okra uh, and we hope to see you soon all right